Amen. You can be seated. Thank you, Billy, for reading this morning. Well, this is it. This is the final sermon from Ephesians that we're going to look at as we've been walking through Ephesians for several weeks now. We come to uh, Paul's conclusion. And it's interesting what he concludes with because what Paul concludes with is what ultimately matters and is most important for us moving forward. That is, how do we live out this relationship with Jesus? How do we live it out in a world that doesn't love him? How do we live out our Christian faith when all around us are uh, forces of evil and those who do not wish to glorify God? How are Christians to respond and to live in the midst of that? And so in Ephesians chapter 6, what you, have, what you have is Paul closing with this encouragement and also this challenge to go to battle. Warren Wiersbe said this. He said, the Christian life is not a playground. It's a battleground. And, and before we all start thinking that life here in this world is just all rainbows and butterflies, we have to realize that we are surrounded every day by forces that desire that we would not follow Jesus, but rather cave and follow after other loves. I don't know if you know this, but every day you live, every moment your heart is being pulled in one of two directions, either to love God or to not. And what we have to realize is as Christians, if you're a Christian in the room, you are not immune to this. In fact, you are probably more aware of this than anyone else. That there are subtle lures in life that call us to love things more than we love Jesus. And as Christians, we have to be on guard and we have to be ready. And I don't know about you, but I'm grateful that according to these verses, God has given us everything we need to live for him and to be victorious, even in the midst of all of this sin and all this brokenness we see around us. Because sometimes I turn on the TV and I'd rather not watch anything because it's nothing but filled with violence and brokenness and a heartache and pain and despair. And if we're not careful, we can get to thinking that that's what's going to win out. It won't. And what Paul has for Christians, when he writes in the first century, he's writing to us too. Because the things they were battling here in these verses are the same things we battle today. And I want to remind you, as Wearsby said, that Christian life is a battleground, not a playground. So as we walk through these verses, I want to point out three particular things to you. And I'm going to go ahead and give it to you up front so that if you fall asleep, you have them with you. Number one, I want you to see this morning, there is a war happening. There is a war happening, whether we see it or not. Number two, there is power in the midst of that war for victory. There is power for victory. And number three, be strengthened and stand for Christ. Number one, there is a war. Number two, there is power for victory. Number three, be strengthened and stand for Christ. Let's pray that God would help us to understand these verses this morning. Heavenly Father, I am keenly aware that I am wholly inadequate to preach this on my own. And God, I need you to speak to your people today by your word. I need you to take these verses. And Father, I need you 
to apply them to our hearts, to help us understand them. By your Spirit's power, may we understand these truths. Help us, God, to be ready to stand for you no matter what comes against us, trusting that you are able to supply all we need. Father, I pray that as I preach these verses today, people would see that you are the king and that they might see that they have a desperate need for you, that no amount of their goodness, no amount of our good deeds will ever pay for our sin before you, but you sent your son to die that we might be forgiven, not by our hands, but by the finished work he's done on the cross. Father, lead us all there. Lead us to your throne and cause us to fall as dead men before you. Father, I ask you to work in the hearts of your people. Feed your sheep today. I ask it all in Christ's name. Amen. Finally, be strong in the Lord. What Paul is telling us is what you can rest on. That is, he's finishing up this letter. And just so you know, Paul doesn't act like other preachers. When he says finally, he means it. And he wraps it up. And here are his final concluding remarks to these Christians in Ephesus who are no doubt struggling in their Christian faith on how to live out in the midst of a lost world because Ephesus was not a beacon of Christian love and morality. It was actually a a city filled with idols and filled with lures to false loves. And what does Paul want them to do? Well, the first three chapters of Ephesians, he shares with them how one is saved through Christ, how we are desperately in need of him, that we are dead men in our sins, that we need God to give us life through his son Jesus' life, death, and resurrection on the cross for us, that we need him to act to move us from death into spiritual life. And then chapters 4 through 6, he's been telling us how Christians live that out on a regular daily basis. And it's a call to work out our faith. It's a call to walk in a manner worthy of having been saved by Jesus. When someone gives up their life for you, what would you do for them in response? Well, here we're called that Jesus has given up his life for us. And now the only fitting response for Christians is that we would live every second for him. And we're going to have to live that in the midst of a world that doesn't necessarily love him because there is a battle going on. There is a war that's happening. And so Paul wants them to be aware of that and he wants them to be prepared for it. Now, let me just preface this straight up at the very, very beginning. I know we live in the Western world. I know we live in America. And because we do, that most of us are ingrained with the idea that there are no spiritual forces at work. That everything is simply put it on an Excel sheet, uh, make a formula out of it. If I can touch it, then I'll believe it. That we, in the Western part of the world, we live as if there are no spiritual forces at work at all. Now, we do like to believe in a general spiritual God, but not the God of the Bible. We like to believe in a God that we fashioned after our own desires. Do you know there's parts of this world that we would look at and we would laugh at because we would say that they are over-spiritual? They believe spirits aren't working everything. There's parts of the world you go to and they believe if they get a blown-out tire, it's because some evil spirit acted upon the tire to blow it out. Now, here's what I would say to you and to me this morning. I do believe that there are spiritual forces at work every day around us. That just because we can't see it doesn't mean it doesn't 
exists. I can feel the effects of it. And there are days that feel dark for me. I don't know if you've ever felt that, but I have. And I don't believe it's because I woke up on the wrong side of the bed. I don't believe it's because I ate a bad burrito, like my friend used to say. I believe it's because there are spiritual forces at work. And many times, because we live in America, because we live in the Western world, we just discount it and say it cannot exist. Paul is saying unequivocally that the truth of God states there is a spiritual war taking place among things that we can't even see. That is just as real as anything we could touch. And as Christians, we chase after falseness when we discount any idea that these things exist. Paul says, finally be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. That is a command by God to Christians. Be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. I want to point out to you that that word be strong is actually passive, which means that's something done to us. God's not saying, hey, y'all, suck it up. What he's saying is you need to be strong, and the only way you can be strong is if I strengthen you. So what the first thing Paul says here is, Christians, you can't live in this world and be victorious apart from Jesus. You have to have him because that's the only way you will be strengthened to be able to stand against the attacks of those who stand in opposition to God. And you and I as Christians need to be strengthened, be made strong by God. Think of it this way. It's as if we are vessels that are empty on our own. That we need God to pour strength into us. Not that we can fill ourselves, but that God promises he strengthens his people. But he says, going forward, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. What has Paul just said? He has just said that if you discount the fact that there are any spiritual forces you can't see, then he's a liar. Paul makes no room for the idea that spiritual forces are a figment of our imagination. Paul says, without bending, that we are called to stand against the schemes of the devil. Listen, I know a lot of us in the room like to believe in God, but not many of us like to believe that there is a devil or that there are spiritual forces that are evil. And just so you know, I think that's exactly how Satan wants it. He wants us to discount that there's anything going on that we can't see. And Paul's emphasizing for Christians who are living in this world to be strengthened, be strong in the Lord in the strength of his might, not ours, but his. And we do so by putting on the whole armor of God. Again, that's something God does. God supplies the armor we don't. And the reason he gives us armor to live with and to put on is because there are schemes of the devil that are coming against Christians, trying to cause Christians to fall, 
to try and cause people to fall and not worship God. But God has supplied armor that we are to put on. That's a command. And then he says, here's why. For we do not wrestle against what? Which means what? Human forces. What has Paul just said? Paul has just said that there are forces beyond human flesh and blood. And he says, ultimately, the problem that Christians are wrestling with is not other human beings. As much as your boss ticks you off, as much as that family member just makes you, makes you crazy, you're ultimately, as a Christian, not fighting against human authorities and powers. Kim Jong-un is not the ultimate problem. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against what? The rulers, the authorities, the cosmic powers over this present darkness, the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. What is Paul? Paul saying over and over again to Christians, there is opposition that is there that you can't see. And that is ultimately what we as Christians wrestle against. And this happens all around us every single day. And many of us go to bed frustrated and in despair and struggling because we don't recognize that what we're wrestling against is not ultimately human authorities and powers. It's ultimately against spiritual powers. Forces of evil that act in opposition to God. And I want you to notice that this whole wrestling with rulers and authorities and cosmic powers is sandwiched between the two commands he gives to put on the whole armor and to take up the armor. One is something done to us, put on the whole armor, something that is supplied to us, and then to take up the armor, that's an active command that we're supposed to be doing. So God says be strengthened, which only he can do. Then he says put on the whole armor of God, which only he can supply. And then he says take up the whole armor of God, which is our call that we are to be active in our fight for Christ. That we don't sit on the sidelines waiting for something to happen. We are part of the war. And we're to put on and to take up not part of the armor, not some of it, but all of it. Why? Because there is a war being waged. That's what Paul clearly states. And this is a spiritual battle that is happening between forces of evil and God and his people and number two, that there is power for victory in the midst of that by the armor that God supplies. He says, so that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. You notice how many times he used the word stand or withstand? He used it four times in these verses. The whole idea is not to be overtaken by it, but to stand in the midst of the onslaught of Satan's schemes. Because here's the idea. Spiritual forces of evil do not want you to follow Jesus. They don't want you to serve him. They want you to abandon him. They want you to reject the Son of God. 
And every day they're at work trying to get you to be displeased with him or not satisfied with him or straight out antagonistic with him. And the only way we as Christians are kept from slipping back into those things is God has supplied to us his armor that we might stand against the schemes of the devil because he is out seeking who he may devour. And I hate to break it to you, but Human life is not just encompassed by waking up at 6 in the morning and going to work and punching your time card and coming home and eating dinner and watching TV and going to sleep and doing it again. There are cosmic forces at work. And as Christians, we're called to be warriors for Jesus, fighting back against darkness. And the only way we can do that is by the armor God supplies, and he calls us to take it up. And to fight. For what purpose? That you may be able to withstand in the evil day. That you might have victory in the midst of all of these onslaughts. That you might be able to withstand that which Satan seeks to attack us with. To stand firm. And let me help you. Satan is not as powerful as God. I had a professor tell me one time, Satan is mighty, but God is all mighty. And see, we can walk into this battle thinking, oh, it's just a, it's a dualistic uh, Forces of good versus forces of evil like Star Wars and who's going to win? Is it going to be Darth Vader or Luke Skywalker like they're equal forces battling against each other? That's not how the Bible paints it. The Bible paints it that Satan can only do that which God allows him to do. That Satan doesn't have any authority of his own. Only God has supreme authority. And as such, this battle is not a, oh, I hope God wins. This battle is he's already won and he's calling us to fight in the victory that's already been given in Jesus. We're not losers. He says we are more than conquerors because of what Christ has done. But you and I can't do this just by waking up one day and going, you know what, I think I'll take up the armor of God today. I think I'm going to fight back today. No. This is what God supplies, and as such, we can only do it if we're in Christ. The first, verse 10, finally be strong in the Lord, not in yourself. It's not your willpower that grants victory. It's the power of God working through his people by the Spirit. And all of this is a power greater than any of the powers that are on this earth. God is supreme over all of them. There is a war, but there's also power for victory, and it's found in Christ. So what does the armor look like? I'm glad you asked. He gives us seven things about the armor of God. Now, remember, Paul's in prison when he's writing this. We know that from verse 20. Paul's in prison. What is Paul looking at every day? Soldiers who have what? So what he's doing is Paul is explaining to them God's power for them to withstand. And he's explaining it by giving the illustration of what soldiers wear which Paul would be looking at every day. And so what he does is he gives us the armor in the order they would put it on. 
I didn't know that I read that. Because just so you know, I'm not, a, I'm not a genius on first century Roman armor. But he gives it to us in the order that they would put it on. What does he say? He says, stand therefore, right? That call to stand. Stand therefore having fastened on the belt of truth. Now, again, this armor is not about physical armor. I'm not asking you to go to Walmart and buy a belt of truth. Although that would be sweet if you could. That would be outstanding because I would have one. But he's using a metaphor, illustration to explain that the first thing a soldier would do would cinch up his garments to be ready for battle. And guess what that belt is? The truth. Just any truth? God's truth. The only, the first and primary concern for a Christian is we cling to the truth of God. Because if we don't cling to the truth of God, guess what? We have nothing to withstand the onslaught of the enemy. Matthew chapter 4. Jesus was being tempted in the wilderness. What did Jesus use when speaking to Satan? The word of God. Every time Satan tempted him, Jesus responded with the truth of God. Why? Because that is the primary thing we hold to in defense against what Satan and those opposed to God would seek to do in leading people away from him. And so the belt that you put on is that belt of truth, the belt of God's truth. Number two, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, that breastplate that protects all the vital organs, guess what? It is the breastplate of righteousness. And I don't think this means uh, righteousness as in you know, justification when you're first saved, but righteousness as in godly character, living it out. And he says that the breastplate that protects the vital organs from the onslaught of the enemy is that breastplate of righteousness, living in a way that is pleasing to God. Guess what? Satan's darts don't work as well when you're walking after Christ. The only time we feel the darts is when we're walking in opposition to him. When we're not living as we should, all of a sudden those darts penetrate. But he says the, the breastplate is righteousness that has been given to us that we might walk in after Jesus. Number three. And as shoes on your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. That we are to be ready for the battle, and the readiness we have is the gospel of peace. Listen, we're not going out trying to kill people for Jesus. Our gospel that we bring, the good news that Christians bring to the world, is not one of hatred and violence. The, the gospel we bring is one of Peace, that we can actually have peace with God and peace with each other through Jesus. And that's the readiness for battle is knowing that the gospel we take is the gospel of peace that beckons people to trust in Christ and be made right before God. So we have the belt of truth, we have the breastplate of righteousness, we have the the gospel of peace, and number four, in all circumstances, so he hasn't left any wiggle room for anybody, 
in all circumstances, take up the shield of faith. The word for shield is actually a word that also means door. It's a picture of a shield so big it covers the whole front of you. Which, by the way, I'm in favor of that shield. If Jason never has to go to battle, you give me the door shield, the one that just covers everything. But he says here that the shield is what? You have Bibles. I know you do. Of what? Faith. So the thing that covers us from head to toe in the battle, spiritual battle, is faith. Well, what is faith? Is it, oh, I believe in something? Because you can have faith in fairy tales too. No, the faith he's talking about is a dependence. To have faith in Jesus, I know we hear that a lot in church, and a lot of times we don't describe it, but faith in Jesus basically means you trust in him. You trust that he's the only one who can save you. That's what faith in Jesus means. And here we're told the shield that covers Christians from head to toe in the battle against Satan and his forces is faith, a dependence on God, a reliance on him for everything. We don't have to fear anything because we have faith. We have trust in him that he is able to supply everything we need, that God is victorious and he is the king. It's a reliance on God that readies us to stand in the midst of battle. He says, with this shield, you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. <laughs> you know what the repellent is to the darts of the evil one? Faith. Trust that God is who he is. And that what he said in his word is absolutely true. That's the protection we have against all the onslaught is a reliance, a dependence on God that will not waver. Then he goes on and says, number six, uh, number five, and take the helmet of salvation. Guess what Christ gives us? Because of his life, death, and resurrection, guess what Christ has purchased for us as people? Salvation. Rescue in the midst of danger. That salvation is not just a one-time thing. That's the thing that God continues to keep us, even in the midst of the onslaught we face. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit. As Christians, guess what Jesus has given us by his work on the cross? Salvation and the Spirit. Listen, all I know is if God is almighty, having his spirit reside within us is plenty powerful enough for us. We don't need anything else. We have the spirit. We have salvation from Christ through him, and we have the spirit given to us by him. And he tells us what the sword is, right? Because everybody wants a sword. I mean, you might be cool about the helmet and all that stuff, the belt, that's cool and all, but everybody wants a sword. Well, what's the sword? The Word of God, sharper than a double-edged sword. Guess what our weapon is? It's the Word of God. It's the truth. Again, our gospel is a gospel of peace that Jesus came and died that we might be reconciled to God and to each other. And the sword we wield, the offensive weapon we have as Christians is not our fists, it's our word. 
the word of God given to us by him. And then he adds this. Okay, so there, there, you, you, have, you have truth, you have righteousness, you have peace, you have faith, you have salvation, you have the word of God. And then finally, number seven, he says, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. It's almost as if Paul is saying that as he's looking at this Roman soldier and the soldier has all these pieces of armor on and he's walking you through that what helps a Christian stand in the midst of the onslaught of spiritual force and the enemy is truth and, and righteousness and salvation and the spirit, right? The word of God. All these things are ours. Those are the weapons. Those are the, that's the protection we have against the evil one. Then Paul says, praying while you're doing it. It's almost as if he's saying every single bit of armor that's put on is prayed for as it's put on. What is prayer? Is prayer asking something from our cosmic genie? Hoping that he'll give us that car we want or that home we want? Or a million dollars, or what, what, was the mega, what was the mega thing? Like one billion dollars? How many of y'all are praying for that? <laughs> no, this, this prayer, listen, you, uh, you know, if God wants to bless, you know, that's what I mean. But what he's talking about here is a prayer of dependence on God. What prayer is for Christians, prayer is us telling God we can't handle it. We need him to do something. We need him to act. And we're dependent on him to do it. As Paul says, these these, the belt is being put on and the breastplate is being put on and the helmet's being put on. What Paul is saying is you've got to pray the whole time you're doing all that because every bit of this stuff doesn't matter if we don't have God, if we're not reliant on him. And God's word tells us that. We see throughout the Old Testament that God's people started relying on themselves instead of him. And guess what happened to them? They lost. But when they depended on God, when they trusted in him, guess what? God brought them victory. And so many times as Christians, we can think, thanks God for saving me, now I got it from here. There's not a single day, not a single second of this life that we don't need God for something. That we, that we can do it on our own. we got to have God at every step. And here Paul basically ends this whole challenge to stand and to put on the armor and to be strengthened by God. He ends it by, now pray your guts out while you're doing it. Praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert. With all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints and also for me. This is the whole church, by the way. You need each other as Christians. Because this is a whole church thing. He says, pray for all the saints and also for me. Paul knew he wasn't isolated. He wasn't alone. He wasn't an individual. He was a Christian, part of the Christian family with other brothers and sisters who cared for him. And this is a fight that we wage together. We're not alone. And I don't know about you, but I'm grateful for that because there's some days it feels like I'm by myself. And it feels like everything's coming. It feels like everything's coming against you. And if we're by ourselves, we will cave. But God has given us a family, a spiritual family that we can lean on and, and who will pray for us and encourage us. To put on the armor again and put on the armor again and put it on. He prays that they would be alert and pray for all the saints and also for him. He says that, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly pro to proclaim the mystery of the gospel. Paul knows that even his preaching, even in prison, is reliant upon the power of God at work. And I want you to notice something else as we close. This is it, I promise, this is it. 
I promise. Finally, I want you to see what Paul's prayer is not. What does Paul not pray for? Because to be honest with you, it's probably what I would have prayed for. What Paul doesn't pray for is that he be removed from battle. Oh, I'll be honest with you. There's a lot of preachers out there that will teach you that what God wants is for you not have to fight. That God doesn't want you having to battle. He wants you to have a nice life. He just wants you to have comfort and ease. Know what Paul prays for? Not take me out of the battle. Not remove me from the battlefield. What Paul prays for is help me withstand in the midst of war. See, as Christians, we can't just sit on the sidelines and pray, God, please take away the battle. We can't because we need him. We need him in the midst, and it's through that that God grows us and strengthens us. If you want to be strengthened, it's not going to happen sitting at the playground. If you're going to be strengthened in the Lord, like he says in verse 10, how does God accomplish that strengthening? Through suffering and struggle and battle. And all the while knowing, as Paul says, I am an ambassador in chains that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. Know what Paul saw? Not that he needed to be removed from the battle, but Paul saw that he was an ambassador for Jesus in the midst of the battlefield. That in the midst of all the world that didn't love Christ, Paul saw himself as an ambassador representing Jesus to everyone, and he was not going to stop fighting for Christ. He didn't ask to be taken off the battlefield. He prayed that they would be strengthened, that they would put on the armor of God, that they would take it up, and that they would stand firm. See, as a Christian, I would love to never have issues in this life. I would love it. But would that ultimately be for my good? According to Paul, we are strengthened as we wage war for Jesus. Sharing the gospel everywhere we go, pointing everyone to Jesus all along the way, showing that in him we can actually have life. That while Satan tries to seek to lead people astray and away from God and distort the truth, that we as Christians are able to go into darkness through Christ and we're able to battle for him to bring the truth to people who need to hear it. And this morning what you need to hear is not do better, try harder, because you've already done that and it's failed. I've already tried it. What you and I need to hear this morning is that there is a God. He did create you and me. We did sin against him. We do deserve punishment. We do deserve to have the full wrath of God poured out on us. That we can't earn God's salvation. But God being gracious, God being rich in mercy, sent his own son to live on this earth in the midst of battle and to die on the cross almost as if he had failed and yet find him risen from the dead because the father raised him to show that Jesus was not a loser in the battle. He was the conquering king. And everyone who follows after him and trusts in him is also declared victorious in the midst of this world that does not love him. While the world calls shame down upon us, while the world tells us that we're chasing myths, what we're doing is proclaiming to them that there is hope in the midst of lostness. There is forgiveness in the midst of sin. And Christ is the only king who can provide it. Now trust in him. 
Now, my hope this morning is that every single one of us will see that I'm the sinner in that story. I'm the one who blew it. I'm the one who strayed against God. But oh, how loving he was to me that in 1996, he rescued my dead soul and made me alive with him forever. It's not because I'm great. I'm still not. But it's because he is so immensely glorious and loving to me. That same salvation I have is the same salvation God offers to you this morning. If you would turn away from your sins and run to Jesus. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, I love you. And I thank you that your word is true. And I thank you, Lord, that while I'm a sinner and I didn't deserve any of your grace, that you reached down out of heaven by sending your own son and he died the death I deserved. And you raised him from the grave to show that he was the conquering king and his sacrifice was enough to save me from all of my sin. Father, I pray everyone in this room knows that to be true. I pray everyone in this room knows that they cannot earn forgiveness, but you have given it through your son. May they call upon his name this morning. Cause every one of us in this room to fall before your throne and sing to you, God, we need you. We need you. We need you. God, I'm grateful that as a Christian, you haven't left me empty-handed. You've given me the whole armor of God that I might stand in the midst of an evil world that doesn't love you. Oh God, I pray that we as Christians will see we are not victims. We are conquering people because we're yours. Because you are victorious, so shall we be. So Father, draw us to yourself. Give us a love for you that far outweighs the love anything in this world can offer us. Lord, I pray that you will save people today. I pray that there is anyone in the sound of my voice who has been trying to earn salvation or has been discounting you this whole time. I pray what they would see this morning from your word is that you are real. You are a God who has died. You are a God who is king of kings. You are the only creator king, and you deserve all worship today. And God, may you rescue them, woo them, God, draw them to yourself, call them to yourself, and God, may they be obedient to fall before you and trust in you. Father, as Christians, help us to live not as pitiful people, not as people who are worried about whether or not this is all going to work out. Help us as Christians to know the battle is already won. The war is already over. We're just waiting for our king to come again and to give us our marching orders. So, Father, I pray we will be faithful to you until Jesus comes or you take us home. Help us to glorify your name. Thank you, God. Thank you you're all powerful. To you alone be glory and honor and praise. We ask it all in Christ's name. Amen.